0: Welcome to The Different Functional Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about grief, what it is, what it looks like, and some ideas on maybe how to get a handle on it. I am Autumn, the older sister, and my fact of the day is that I despise death. And I know nobody really likes death. Everybody hates death. And maybe I'm just like everybody else. I don't know, but I cannot handle death. I don't like talking about death on any sort of personal basis. I don't like seeing death in movies or books. I get extremely upset about the entire concept of death, like to the point that even squishing an insect sometimes is very bothering for me because I have deaded that bug and and the death of that is horrifying to me. I like
1: deaded as a verb. I don't like death, though. I agree with you on that. I am Ivy, the younger sister, and my fact of the day is that death is such an abstract concept to me that my brain is not even entirely convinced that it is, in fact, a thing at all. It's very hard for me to conceptualize death.
0: I would argue that a lot of people in our culture find death as an abstract concept. I mean, even I who hate death, think of it somewhat as an abstract concept. And I think part of the reason that is and probably part of the reason I hate and despise and avoid death so much is because our culture just simply doesn't deal with it. You know, they may be different in other cultures. I'm not sure because I'm not part of other cultures, but I know in America, I feel like we're very uncomfortable with the concept of death and we don't like dealing with the idea of it. And so we just don't. It's hidden under the corners and behind closed doors. And it's talked about in hushed voices. And because we handle death that way, it spills over into how we deal with grief. So because we wanna brush death under the rug and not believe it's a thing and not have to face it, we do the same with grief. It makes people uncomfortable. And so we don't like seeing it presented and we don't like having to encounter it and deal with it. And we end up downplaying it a lot. We limit what you can grieve about and we limit how long you're allowed to grieve. And we limit what your behaviors or emotions should look like when you're grieving. And I know this ties in somewhat to our overall taboo around emotion and mental health as well. But I think it's where the intersection of our taboos about mental health intersect with our taboos about death. And so grief just is stuck in this dark little corner which sucks because, unfortunately, death is a part of life. Loss is a part of life. It's just how it is. And because grief and loss go hand in hand, grief is a part of life. And we need to shine some light on it. And we need to bring it out into the open. And we need to start losing some of these taboos around both death and grief.
1: I would also say that part of the reason why we have so many societal taboos around death and grief and the discussion of it and the experience of it is because death really is, as they say, the great equalizer. It is the one thing that none of us can truly escape. It is the one thing we will all have to deal with and experience at some point. Our own death, dealing with our own mortality, but then also experiencing that loss that feels so definitive, where there is no hope for anything in the future with that person or that thing or that relationship that we have lost. That's a big part of the reason why we do have so many of those societal taboos around death and why there is such that strong intersection between those societal taboos and the taboos around mental health and all of that is because death is something that universally has affected everybody at some point in their life.
0: It will universally affect everybody, which is part of why we want to talk about it today. We want to bring it out more into the open and start opening up this conversation about death and grief and not just death, but loss as well. Because grief isn't just tied to death. It's tied to loss overall. Let's go ahead and start right there. What is grief? And this is a a definition that I found in an article, and it's old. It's like from 1964 or something, and I'll have Ivy posted on the resources page. But I love this definition because I feel like it's like, yes, that's what grief is. So the author says, grief is a characteristic response to the loss of a valued object, be it a loved person, a cherished possession, a job, status, home, country, an ideal part of the body, etc., Yes, that's what it is. It's a characteristic response to the loss of something valued. And so, yes, that could be death, the loss of a loved one, like a literal loss of them because they're dead. But it could be something more simple, like you got fired or you went through a breakup. Or in my case, I am grieving the loss of pasta because I'm having to give up gluten. It seems ridiculous and it seems tiny, but I am actively sad and my life is actively upset and I am having this characteristic. Characteristic response to the loss of gluten and the other thing that I love about this definition is that it talks about how it's a Characteristic response I think a lot of us really confuse grief with an emotion like it's like happiness or it's like sadness and then there's grief and it's all in the same Bracket, but grief is not just an emotion it's a full spectrum experience grief is emotion yes but it's also a variety of emotions it's nostalgia and sadness and gratitude and happiness and longing and yearning and anger and it's also behaviors and thoughts and impulses and habits it's a full spectrum experience
1: I like the, that definition as well because it, grief is something that is fully experiential. And maybe that's part of what makes it so difficult to talk about as well, as it's not just the taboos around it, it is the fact that you do experience it in every sense of the word you experience it in every area of your life and your being loss affects us so much in so many ways both overt and subtle and it's also difficult to pin down because that experience of grief manifests so differently from person to person it really is like a fingerprint it's so unique to the individual and grief will look very different for everybody grief will feel very different for everybody it'll impact people in their lives in very different ways and it makes it even more difficult to talk about because while death and grief and loss they are universal our experience of those things is very, very different and it can be very difficult sometimes to bridge that gap because we feel these things so strongly, we experience these things so strongly, and it is so personal and deep and intimate within us and within our lives. Sometimes we can develop expectations of what grief is and what it looks like and how everybody should grieve and society informs some of those expectations as does religion, spirituality, culture, like all of those things do inform our expectations of grief. But I think our personal experiences and how we ourselves process grief, that also impacts the expectations that we have of how other people should grieve. And the fact is, is that grief can look very different from person to person. I I have known so many people who, when they are grieving, they don't look like it on the outside. Other people would look at them and think that they're totally fine, that they're not grieving, that they're not dealing with it. And that's not the case. They're dealing with it in their own way. Maybe they're just a very internal person, but also sometimes they have to be the strong one, especially if it's an actual death or maybe it's a messy divorce and there's kids involved. People have to keep their shit together. Let's be honest, just because a a loss happens doesn't mean always that we get to fall apart right away or that we're even able internally to fall apart right away. There are logistical things that need to be taken care of, legal things that need to be taken care of. And there has to be, generally speaking, at least one person who is capable of keeping it together at least long enough to make those things happen, to make the arrangements for the funeral, to you know deal with the lawyers, to do all of that stuff. And from the outside looking in, somebody may look at that person and think, oh, they're not affected by this at all. They don't even care. No, they're in a space where they recognize practical things have to be dealt with and that's the headspace that they're in and there's no room for me to actually feel and experience the grief right now because this other stuff has to be taken care of and somebody has to take care of it and I guess I'm the one to do it.
0: Being that strong person is also a way to grieve with it because some of us react to grief by needing to do something or the emotions are so strong, we need to retreat into logic and not be able to touch those emotions just yet. And like Ivy said, there are those external factors, but grief really does look different for everybody. Also with that, because grief is this unique fingerprint for all of us, there's also a spectrum of how we experience to what degree we experience and what we experience it over. I believe there are different levels of intensity that you feel this grief for based on the loss. Like I said earlier, I'm grieving the loss of pasta in my life. And, and I kind of laugh about that because yes, I am grieving it. And yes, it is affecting me. But at the same time, it's I don't want to say a superficial loss, but it's not a very, very deep loss. The grief I experienced when my mother died That is obviously, for me, very, very much bigger than the grief I have for pasta. But it doesn't mean that I'm still not experiencing grief over this smaller loss. It's just there's a spectrum of it. I think we forget about that. And we feel like if the loss is little or not as big, then that negates the grief that you feel like you're not allowed to feel it. And I don't feel that's true. Like I feel I'm allowed to be sad and to feel depressed and to feel upset about the changes to my routine and the money I'm having to spend and the loss of tastiness that I'm experiencing because I haven't had gluten. And I feel like that is just as valid to have those feelings and be upset about those things and to have these behavioral and intellectual reactions as it is just as valid to me to have been completely upset and my life turned on its end when my mom died. So let's start talking about the different kinds of grief because there are so many different types.
1: First big one, death. Obviously, I think that's the one that most people will think about when they think about grief. But there are other things too. One of the ones that I've personally experienced a lot of is grieving for people who are still alive, but they're no longer really themselves or they're not who we thought they were. And I think this is something that will affect most people on some level over the course of their lives maybe you get into a relationship with somebody and you're with that person for a while and then they do something that's abusive or they cheat on you or something along those lines and you feel this sense of betrayal because this is not the person that I knew for me it really manifested strongly in my relationship with my father because when i was very young i really connected to him and he was like my whole world and then later things completely fell apart and i started seeing things in a different light and i had to grieve for for what it was that I felt that I had lost. That person that I believed was real never actually existed. That is a very real type of grief. This can also happen in situations where somebody has dementia or they are experiencing a serious addiction or they're having a significant mental health crisis because this person may be acting in ways that are very different than you're used to. And those changes may or may not be permanent, but the fact of the matter is they are not who you remember them to be. And that is a grief process because you have to let go of this idea of who this person was.
0: This can also happen on the positive side as well. We talk about, you know, believing that person was somebody and then it turns out they're not or the addiction or the dementia. But all of us are growing and all of us are on a growing journey. And sometimes we just grow apart. Sometimes the person we loved was that person and they've made positive changes and they are healthier and they are happier. But they're not somebody that we're compatible with anymore. They're not somebody that we can interact with anymore. And we end up losing them and we're happy for them sometimes even and that that can make the grief even worse because we feel like, oh, I'm so happy for them. They're, they're in a much better space. And so we feel like a dick because, but why do I feel sad? And why do I feel hurt? I want to be happy for them. I still want to be in their life, but we just can't. And that's, that's okay. But we do have to grieve that as well because we are losing them. We're losing them to something positive and to something happy and to growth for them. And if we honestly love them at the core, we will be happy, but we do also still have to acknowledge we are losing the friend that we had. We are losing the lover that we had. We are losing the parent that we had or that we knew as they move and grow in a way that we're not growing. That ties right into a lot of the losses that we experience, which come from change in life circumstances. Like I said, the loss of a relationship. And that can be a multitude of relationships. That can be a romantic relationship. That can be children that decide they no longer want to talk to you. Or it could be parents that refuse to talk to you if you don't do X, Y, or Z. It could be, the end of a coworker relationship it could be the end of a friendship those loss of relationships those are big big grief points also loss of a job moving geographically or body grief which happens when you have a significant injury or an illness or for a lot of us even just aging losing the capabilities we used to have. I'm not 20 anymore. And that sucks for so many reasons on the physical level, not the mental level. I don't want to be 20 again mentally, (laughs) but physically there was a lot I could have done then that I just can't do now. And I do have grief over that.
1: We also need to talk about the types of grief that we experience when we're growing as people or we're getting healthier. And I feel like a lot of you out there who are listening to this episode will probably be able to relate to this because if you're listening to this episode, you probably are neurodivergent or you've experienced some sort of trauma in your background or you deal with some sort of mental health issues and you're working on improving yourself or improving your life or getting to a healthier space, just growing as a person. And while that is wonderful and amazing and there's so many good things that come from that there's also some really hard things that come from that on some level what we had before how we operated before was easier a lot of times because a lot of times in the past we were masking which made everybody else around us happy and it was just easier to deal with them or we didn't understand as much about what was going on with us or about our trauma that we experienced we had the blissful ignorance as it were relying on old coping mechanisms while they may not be great while they may be very survival and not thriving based they were easier Because we were on autopilot. We didn't have to think about it. We were just operating on those mechanisms that built subconsciously that we didn't even really have to think about. One of the other things is that when we are really struggling with a mental health problem or when we are in the just depths of our trauma processing and we're dealing with all of those things, we are more self-focused and we can be kind of self-centered, which maybe is not great. But... It's also easier in the sense that, well, you don't really have to care that much about what's going on with other people. You're not really focusing on what's going on with people. There is some selfishness with that. And I speak from experience there as somebody in my late teens and early twenties, I will admit I was kind of an asshole and I did take advantage of some people and I did hurt some people and you know what, at the time it didn't matter because I didn't really care. I cared, but I didn't, because I was so immersed in my own pain that everything that was collateral damage, it just was what it was. And I didn't really stress about it that much. But as I grew as a person and I became healthier and I developed better coping skills and I could see how much damage I had done. Oh boy, that really fucked with me. And now I'm so much more careful about the decisions that I make because they don't just impact me. They impact other people. And I care about that now. And sometimes I wish I could just not care because it was easier when I didn't have to care about other people and their feelings. I'm not proud of it, but there are moments when I still feel that where I wish that I didn't care.
0: There are also a lot of other less concrete things. Like a lot of these we can point to be like, oh, I lost a loved one or I lost a job. But there's also a lot of less concrete losses that we experience in our life, such as a loss of ideal, like what a family should be. A lot of us who went through a trauma background are still dealing with that grief of what a parent should have been, how I should have been loved, what my family should have looked like. That ideal that we had in our head that was never going to be met. And just because the nature of life, it's never going to be met now. Loss of innocence as well. That comes a lot with trauma. I vividly remember the exact moment that my childhood broke. I remember lying on the couch. I remember the feel of the fabric. I remember the thoughts going through my head, but I remember the exact moment that my childhood just broke for me. And that's a loss. And I still grieve that to this day, wishing that I could have been a kid longer, wishing that I could have been naive and loved and secured and safe and taken care of and not have the responsibility of the world and the family and other people's lives placed on my shoulders so young. But that's not something I can change. And so I still grieve that loss.
1: Another one of those less concrete types of grief, even though some of these things are not completely unique to people who've experienced sexual assault, I do feel experiencing sexual assault is a unique type of trauma and it is a unique type of grief that you go through on multiple levels. As somebody who has experienced this myself, you do have this loss of wholeness as a person. You feel fragmented. You have these feelings of a loss of control and a loss of personal autonomy that can be really challenging to get back. The power that you have over your own life and over your own body was taken from you. And because it was taken from you, there's always that chance that it could be taken from you again. You always are vigilant to your surroundings and you end up becoming more cynical of other people. It's harder for you to trust, especially in terms of relationships. It can be very, very hard for you to trust romantic partners. It impacts all of these different areas of your life. And that grief that you feel is so all-encompassing and you feel as though you've lost purity. You haven't. But you feel like you have you feel like it was ripped away from you who you were before is gone forever you're grieving a loss of yourself in a lot of ways and you're grieving your ability to connect because those fears are now always there And like I said, that trust can be really, really hard for you to get back and it can be very, very difficult for you to intimately connect with people moving forward. I'm not going to say it destroys your life, but it is definitely something that causes so much damage and it takes such a long time to work through that if you can ever really heal from it. And that grief that you experience as a result of sexual assault, that is there forever. I don't believe that I will ever get to a point where I have fully processed that grief and fully move on because who I was before I experienced those things is gone. It's, it's just gone. And I can't get that back. And I will be grieving that on some level for the rest of my life. And I feel like a lot of people, if not all people who have experienced sexual assault and have really confronted that head on, they feel that as well
0: piece of that grief, at least in my opinion, both with the sexual assault and the trauma that happens is your reality gets shattered. We have this perception of reality and what's safe and what the rules are and what's going on. And I believe when you do experience a significant trauma like that, especially the sexual assault, your reality gets shattered. And that's another piece of grief because the entire existence that we thought was no longer is. And that is a very huge loss that we're left to grieve. And another one of these less concrete losses that I want to touch on real quick is just the loss of spirituality. So many of us, for so many reasons, lose faith. Sometimes... We have the, the spiritual trauma that happens and sometimes it's just we change and grow or the faith doesn't meet with our needs or we have something significant happen and the belief we had in that God or higher power doesn't make sense anymore. And that can really leave us reeling, especially if faith or spirituality was a central part of your life and all of a sudden it's gone. It's like your true north has disappeared. You're just spinning. And there are, of course, other smaller losses, like I talked about at the beginning, the loss of gluten. When you have those food restrictions, when you have those health issues and all of a sudden you can't eat what you want to eat. That is a small loss that you can grieve. It's okay. I give you permission. Another type of grief out there is anticipatory grief. And this is when you know the loss is coming and you grieve while the person or object is still present. So you know you're about to get laid off, but you haven't been laid off and you start experiencing that grief. Or when you do have somebody in your life that has that chronic illness and they're on the downhill side and we're talking days or weeks or months, you know that loss is coming and you feel that and that grief sets in big. And now you may be experiencing this grief for weeks, months, Sometimes, depending on how big this loss is and how complicated it is, maybe even a year or more before that loss finally happens. And that can be so complicated.
1: I want to mention there as well that this anticipatory grief manifests in many people's lives is loss of relationships. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think most people at some point in their life have been in a relationship where they could see it deteriorating and you see the end coming, but it's not there yet. Maybe you're trying couples counseling. Maybe you're trying to make it work. You're trying to make changes. You're trying to compromise, but you feel the end coming, but you're not ready to give up on things yet. That is one that I I think almost everybody can relate to. If you've been in relationships that have not worked out, a lot of times that does not fall apart overnight. Most relationships, it's a slow slide to falling apart. And that is a lot of anticipatory grief that comes along with that as well.
0: When it comes to anticipatory grief, I think there's some debate out there for those of us that have experienced sudden loss versus those that have experienced those prolonged loss that we almost want to debate like, well, who's hurting more? I don't think you can really compare these. The sudden loss and the anticipated loss are Yes, they're both losses, but those experiences are so distinctly different. When you suddenly lose somebody and you're completely blindsided about it and your entire life and perspective and everything changes literally in a moment, that is such a huge shock and it's so big, but that experience is just so uniquely different than when you spend days and weeks holding the hand of somebody that you know you're going to lose and experiencing The frustrations of taking care of them and the desire for them to be there, but the desire for them to be able to move on to wherever they're going because this is so hard for you and so hard for them. And that experience is horrifying, but it's also completely unique. So I do want to point that out as well for those of you out there that have experienced sudden loss or have experienced or are experiencing that anticipatory grief. Neither is necessarily easier or better or difficult or worse. They're just so unique and so different from one another.
1: And the last one that we're going to talk about here is survivor's guilt and this one is very complicated because it's not just grief grief is complicated enough on its own but survivors guilt that that type of guilt and that grief they are inextricably linked The most common ways that I've seen this are combat veterans who lost friends and comrades in war, uh, parents who have lost children to cancer, and people who were in a car accident where they survived and another person or several people did not. And there are so many ways that survivor's guilt can pop up, but those are the three most common ones that I have noticed. And what makes it so much more complicated than grief on its own which again very complicated already is that not only are you grieving the the people that you lost you're grieving who you were before that trauma happened and you're also carrying not just the weight of the loss but you're carrying the weight of the guilt that it was them that died and not you you can't help but ask yourself in those situations why them. Why not me? This is unfair. And that just makes it all that much harder to process. You can't separate the grief from the guilt. It is hand in hand with each other and it just makes it so much harder to deal with.
0: There are so many types of losses that we experience through life. And this is part of why grief is so unique to everybody because some of the losses that we talked about wouldn't bother people. Some people are able to break up from a relationship and be like, hey, it didn't fit anymore. It's fine. I've moved on. And grief is barely a blip on the radar. Other people, they break up from a relationship and it can send them into a two, three, four year spiral of depression and self-hatred. It really depends on how you experience that loss. Even when we both have the experience of loss and even when we both feel like, yes, our worlds have been shocked by this, grief is a characteristic response. It involves our emotions and our our thoughts, and our behaviors. And because all of us are essentially very unique, very different people, how we experience the loss, the loss that we feel actually happened and our reactions to that emotionally, behaviorally, psychologically, intellectually are going to be very different. And so it's really important to remember that as we're talking about grief, that the losses you experience, what you actually perceive as a loss is unique to you, as is how do you react to that loss? What does grief look like for you? Because each of us have a very unique relationship with grief.
1: I know my relationship with grief, as I mentioned at the the top of the episode, is very complex and complicated because it is so abstract. And my neurodivergent brain, it deals with a lot of object impermanence. If it's not right in front of me, It doesn't exist, really, like it does, but it exists somewhere out in the ether. So even though, yes, my brain recognizes that death is real, that loss is real and that things end, I get that. Logically, I understand that, but processing that is an entirely different thing. When I have experienced significant losses in my life, whether that's death or relationships ending or moving away and leaving behind friends or leaving jobs, the way that I experience grief seems to follow the same pattern where at first, for the first few weeks, I grieve hard. And it is very emotional and there's crying and there's you know all of the different stages of grief that they talk about that we've all heard about. All of those things, for a few weeks and then it's like a switch flips in my brain and it's like okay but that that's not real though in my mind my mom still exists somewhere she's still alive somewhere in the world it's really hard for my brain to even process that she is in fact gone especially because she was you know not really a daily part of my life we live quite a ways away from each other we didn't really talk on a regular basis so it's very hard for my brain to comprehend that she's actually gone. But even when it is much closer to home, when my dog Henry died and I had had Henry for I think, 13, 14 years, he was such a fixture in my life. He had been with me since he was a puppy. He was a huge part of my development as a person in early adulthood. I was connected at the hip with that dog. When he died, I grieved super hard in the beginning. And then Even though he was a daily fixture in my life, my brain just decided he wasn't actually gone. There is a part of me that will forever believe that he's just in the other room. It seems almost impossible for my brain to comprehend that death exists and that it's real. It can latch on to it, it can understand it, it can analytically and emotionally process it for a few weeks, and then it just says, okay, we did that. It's over with now. We go back to regular life. That person, that thing, that relationship, it's still there. It's still there.
0: Sometimes I, I wonder if it would be easier for me to deal with death if I had those kind of perceptions. And sometimes I wish I did, but being who I am, they probably wouldn't mesh well with with me. Because when it comes to grief for me and my relationship with grief, death is extremely real. It, it's the most real thing. It's more real than anything else I experience in my life. And I'm very, very aware that when that person dies or that object is lost, in my mind, it's forever. Even even with the small loss that I've talked about with gluten, I feel like it's forever. Like I never get to have pasta again, even though that's not true. My mind perceives it as forever like and because of that, because I have issues with death, it's extremely private for me. Grief is one of the few things in my life that I am extremely private about. Anything else I'll talk about, I'll blather about. I'll share my trauma with somebody in the grocery store line. Not a big deal to me. I don't even think about it. It's just life, right? Not when it comes to death. Some losses I can I can share openly and I can discuss. So, But when it comes to death itself, I am extremely private. I won't talk about it, even with my closest loved ones, even to myself, even in my own head, I don't explore it, which is extremely contradictory to who I am. So when it comes to grief for me, my entire approach to psychological well-being and emotional processing just gets flipped on its head. It does a 180 and I'm just like, nope, not touching it. Cause, like i said i feel it's one of the few things that i could drown in and that terrifies me i believe it's these differences in how we grieve that really cause some of these rifts we see we talk about oh when somebody dies it brings out the worst in everybody or we go through a divorce or a breakup and it's so messy i really think that part of that is because we grieve differently those differences end up making that rift worse Our grieving methods don't always mesh. And because grief is so personal to us and so unique, it feels downright abrasive or painful or almost offensive when somebody grieves differently from you. It's so big and it's so all encompassing and affecting on so many levels, we do start losing our ability to step outside of ourselves and empathize more with others because we are depleted on our psychological and emotional resources. And then when we see somebody else grieving differently than us, It can be offensive, it can be painful, and it cannot look like grief at all to us, which then hurts us that much more because we feel so much pain over this loss and it's like they feel nothing at all. And that can be very difficult. And that's part of what causes the rifts that we see and the messiness that we see when it comes to death and loss.
1: When we experience a significant loss, especially when the significant loss impacts multiple people, like the death of a family member and now everybody else in the family is experiencing that loss, there can also be the fear of losing even more. Sometimes this manifests as like money and inheritance and people will lose their minds even over small amounts of money. It's a weird thing that grief does to our brains that makes us care about things that maybe under other circumstances we wouldn't care about. But I think it also goes beyond just financial things and inheritance it also goes into mementos or an environment let's say a parent dies and some of the siblings want to sell off the family home But maybe somebody else in the family desperately does not want that family home to be sold, not because of the monetary value or them feeling like they're going to be cheated financially, but because they don't want to lose home. And now that their parent is gone, losing that house feels like losing home. It is losing a huge part of themselves when they've already experienced such a a significant loss. This can even come up in divorces too. It doesn't always have to be death where there's so much fighting over who is going to have what custody of the kids. You're experiencing a loss already by experiencing that loss of a marriage and now you're having to split the time that you have with your children. There's just so much that goes into that when you're already experiencing a loss and every Everybody's being affected by that same loss. But now there's this knowledge that on some level, you're going to be losing even more. On a personal level, one of the ways that these kinds of riffs have shown up for me is after our mom died, my brother and I stopped talking for years. Uh, we did not start talking again, I think, until earlier this year. And mom died in 2016. I've talked about it in previous episodes. My brother and I. Always had kind of a strange relationship. He is 11 years older than me, so there's quite an age gap between us. And our personalities could not be more different. So we always butted heads. But then when mom died, the way each of us dealt with that grief was just as different as our personalities. And we ended up having a huge fight that probably would not have happened had we not just experienced that loss of our mom. But that loss was so painful for each of us in our own personal ways. And it was very intimate that dealing with each other in the strained relationship that we already had was too much. And it actually completely broke that relationship entirely for a few years. And I I still don't think it's recovered, even to the point that it was before. Grief and loss, it it can cause rifts in so many ways in relationships because we do grieve so differently. And there's all of these interpersonal dynamics that are complicated to begin with, and then they become even more complicated when everybody is experiencing this significant loss.
0: We've talked a bit about what grief is and what grief looks like. Now let's talk about dealing with grief. So to start out, I just wanna say that you are going to have to try A variety of different things what works is going to depend on you it's going to depend on the loss you experienced and it's going to depend on your own unique grief that you are in and so some of the suggestions we've thrown out today even though they're textbook suggestions they might make things worse because they're not going to mesh with how you are grieving or how you are experiencing that loss so if intuitively it doesn't feel right for you you don't have to try it because There's no one right way to grieve and there's no one right way to deal with grief. So let's just talk about some of the ways that are out there that are suggested for dealing with grief and addressing these losses we have in our life. First off, and I would say this is probably pretty universal good idea, grieve in your time when it's right for you and how it's right for you. So some of us, when we first have that grief and we're first experiencing it, that's not the right time we've got to hold it together. We've got to arrange the funeral. We've got to do the legal stuff to get through the divorce. And grieving right then just isn't possible. And it's not going to be good for us. Or if we break, then we're never going to on break. And we need a little time to separate ourselves from the loss. And that's okay. And other people, they need to dive in right away. They experiencing that loss and their life changes in that moment. And that moment is when they need to deep dive into those feelings and experiences of grief. That's okay, too. But you need to decide when is it right for you to grieve. And with that, also. So how long are you going to be grieving? To me, honestly, some things I really believe we will grieve the rest of our lives. The loss of my mom, the loss of my dog, Rupert, the loss of my dog, Juno. Yes, dogs may not be very important to other people, but they are family members to me. And these are losses that in my mind, I'm going to be struggling with till the day I die.
1: Now, on the flip side of that, I'm also going to say here that you may not grieve at all and that can be okay too there's all of these social expectations when it comes to grief especially over the loss of somebody that in terms of societal structures is supposed to be important to us a lot of us out there though have very difficult family members and some very abusive family members. I mentioned earlier in the, in the episode about grieving the loss of my father in terms of the man that I thought that he was. However, when he dies, I find it very unlikely that I am going to grieve his passing. One, because I have already gone through a grief process over the idea of my father, but also because I don't like him. I don't feel connected to him. I don't like who he is as a person. I have a lot of issues with how he treated not only me, but everybody else in the family and how he treated people peripherally in his life. If I'm completely 100% honest, when he passes away, I expect, if I feel anything at all, to feel relief. And you know what? I'm not gonna feel guilty about that. And I don't think anybody should, If you have somebody who has been close to you or is still close to you who is abusive and then they pass away, society may be telling you that you should be grieving that. Society may be telling you, oh, but they were your parents and you need to appreciate what they did for you and you need to grieve them even if you weren't close. I'm going to call bullshit because some people I don't think are worth grieving over. Now, that being said, it is important to grieve the loss that you actually feel. When I say that, I mean, are you grieving the loss of closure? that you have in that relationship? Are you grieving the loss of that ideal like I was? Or are you actually grieving the loss of the person? I have somebody in my life who's a very good friend and she just recently experienced the death of a parent. She had a very strained relationship with this parent. They were abusive, they had a lot of addiction problems. It was never a good relationship. When that parent passed, It hit her so hard, it hit her so much harder than she expected it to, but ultimately what it sounds like to me, and I could be wrong, but what it sounds like to me is that she is not really experiencing the loss of this human, she's not experiencing the loss of that individual person. What she experiences in terms of grief is that she never got any sort of closure in that relationship. She never got an admission of guilt. She never got anything that would equate to to that parent accepting any accountability for anything that they did and so what she is actually grieving is not the loss of that person she's not grieving an ideal of who she thought this person was at some point because she never had any illusions about her parent or the relationship she had with them what she is grieving though is that she never got closure for herself we all i think kind of understand that at the end of the day, closure is something that we usually have to get internally. At least in part, we have to get internally. But let's be honest, those of us that have had a significant abuser in our lives, we would like for them to be like, yeah, I fucked up. I, I'm, even if they don't apologize, just to be like, yeah, I did that thing. You are valid in believing that I did that. Because she was still able to hold out hope that she would get that someday. But now that that parent has passed, She's never going to get that. So not only give yourself time to grieve on your own timeline or to not grieve, also allow yourself to grieve the loss you actually feel and not the loss that is expected of you.
0: When you are going through the grief process of whatever loss it is you happen to have experienced or you happen to be feeling, be prepared for the grief roller coaster. So there are the stages of grief and we haven't talked about them a lot. Part of that's because there's a ton of information out there and part of it's because they're still debated. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, this five stages of grief they've been added onto. to. Ivy will post a resource. And while some of that information is good and it does give you some sort of structure with which to understand grief. I also believe that those stages are in no way linear. And so there's another resource I'm going to have IV post, and this is a meme, I've seen it in a few different ways, but the actual stages of grief, and basically you see all these stages lined up and it's just this giant scribbled mess. And I feel this is much more reflective of what the stages of grief look like. You're going to feel shock, and then you're going to be bargaining, and then you're going to be hopeful, and then you're going to be angry, or you're going to be all these things at once. There are so many things that come with grief and they're going to be up, down, all around. And you may think you have processed it, and you're like, you know, I'm doing. Good with this. I've really accepted this loss. And then the next day you're going to wake up and it's going to hit you like a sucker punch in the stomach and you're not going to be able to breathe and it's going to feel just like the first moment when you found out that it was gone. And on that same note, be prepared for reminders. They can blindside you so easily. I had recently lost my mom. I think it was a few months in. I was dealing with the loss pretty good. I was getting to the point that I felt like I could breathe again, which is something I had lost for weeks after I found out she had died. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing good. I'm processing and I feel like I'm really moving through this. I'm at my job. All of a sudden I open up a box to stock and it's garlic salt. And the next thing I know I'm on the ground sobbing in the aisle of the store that I'm paid to stock at because my mom used garlic salt and even now like that idea I am tearing up and it's so ridiculous and it's so little but for whatever reason that's what our minds do just like we have these triggers that come with trauma sometimes we have these triggers that come with grief and sometimes these triggers aren't bad things they're not triggering things that like oh it's horrible and it's painful they're just triggering these memories of our loved one or the memory of the relationship or the memory of the job or the memory of whatever it is we've lost and it's a positive memory But because that loss is so fresh for you in that moment, you can't handle that positive moment. Just be aware of that. And that's okay too, if you need to hide from the memories for a while. But be prepared for those reminders that you're going to get sucker punched.
1: Also, give yourself and others patience when it comes to grief, because society allows a certain amount of time for us to grieve. It's not written in stone anywhere, but there is this expectation that you get a certain amount of time to grieve, maybe it's a a few weeks, and then you just have to go back to life as normal. You go back to your job, you take care of your responsibilities, all this stuff still needs to happen. I'm sorry you experienced that loss, but come on, we have to move on. That does not work for everybody. For some people, maybe. Maybe for people like me who grieve really hard for a few weeks and then just our brains pretend like nothing ever happened, kind of. That could work. But there are other people who grieve really hard for a long time. You may be one of those people. Or you may be somebody like me, but you have somebody else in your life who grieves for a really long time. And while it may be harder for you to relate to, please be patient. After mom passed away, I went through my few weeks of really intense grief and then my brain decided mom was still alive somewhere i don't remember when it was but autumn had sent me a message about something that she had experienced that was related to her grief about mom and it was obviously a very important moment for her and i was reading it and i could see yes i recognize that this is a intense moment for her in her grief process but i also looked at it and i was like i do not experience those things anymore but it was just a recognition of differences in grief. There is no judgment on my part of how she was grieving. And I don't think Autumn has ever judged me for my grief process either. Give yourself patience. If you are somebody that takes a long time to get through the worst of it, as they would say. Or if you're somebody who does okay for a while and then you feel it intensely all over again, that's okay too. Give yourself that patience and give other people patience as well. Also, don't apologize for grieving. We are kind of told by society that there are these big things that we're allowed to grieve for. And then there's these more minor things that we're not allowed to grieve for. The one that comes to mind for me with this is miscarriages. Now, I I do think things are starting to shift in our cultural perception of miscarriages, but I have experienced multiple miscarriages. And even though I wasn't trying to get pregnant in any of those times, and each of those times, it probably would have been a real bad idea for me to be pregnant. Those miscarriages still affected me. It affected not just my body and my hormones, but it also affected me in terms of this loss of potential life, because at one point, even though I wasn't trying to get pregnant at that time. But at one point I did want to be a mother. And so to believe for a short period of time that I was going to be, and then have that taken away from me because my body rejected that pregnancy that hit me really hard, but other people, they hear about it and they're like, oh, that's sad, but at least she didn't experience the loss of an actual child. That's a really insensitive thing to say to somebody who experienced a miscarriage. And I think about my mom because my mom experienced multiple miscarriages before she had me. And she really got hit hard by each and every one of those miscarriages. It became this almost this identifying feature in her life of this pain that she experienced, it wanting so desperately to have a baby and then experiencing loss after loss after loss and yes she had two kids already and yes she eventually did get pregnant with me and was able to carry that pregnancy to full term but in between each of those losses was huge to her and society said oh well that's too bad well just keep trying it's not that big of a deal but to her it was and to a lot of women who experience miscarriages whether they were trying to get pregnant or not It's a huge deal to experience that loss.
0: There are a lot of those minor quote-unquote losses that society doesn't let us grieve and that's not okay. Just because society says oh well that's not important, that doesn't mean anything. Society doesn't know shit about you. They don't know shit about your life and your experiences and so society may think this whatever you lost is not important but if it's important to you, then it's fucking important and if you grieve it and you experience disruption in your life because of it, that is totally okay. You have the right to grieve the losses that you feel and the losses that you experience. How we experience grief cannot be scripted. And if someone in your life is stepping in and saying, well, this is how you should feel about this, or this is how you should act about this loss, or this is the emotions you should be feeling, the behaviors you should be showing in response to this, you have every right to set boundaries around that. You have every right to let them know, hey, this is my loss. This is how I feel it. This is how I experience it. No. I'm not going to do what you're saying. No, I'm not going to experience it this way. And no, I'm not going to allow you in my life if you're going to continue to be invalidating to me in this way. On that note, I will say, just like every other mental health issue, our losses, like our mental health issues, don't give us the right to be assholes to others. They don't give us the right to completely destroy or turn around or upside down other people's lives. But at the same point, we do have the right to feel what we feel, to experience what we experience on our terms and to set appropriate healthy boundaries around those experiences so that even if the world does not validate that loss, you can validate that loss and you can acknowledge that that grief is something that you need to experience. It's also important when you are experiencing grief and loss to process that loss. Now, what that processing looks like is going to be extremely different. Just like grief is extremely different and you are extremely different and your loss is extremely different. So will how you process it. And so we can't tell you it's something you're going to have to discover for yourself, but you do want to find a way to be able to process that loss, whether it's therapy, whether it's time, whether it's talking, whether it's actions, whether it's memorials, whatever it is that you need to do to allow yourself to experience that loss and work through that loss, you need to find a way forward. Because if we're not careful, we can get stuck in that loss. We can refuse to move forward and we can start stagnating and we can lose our way in the darkness of grief. And That's not something that's going to help us long term. And if you have experienced a loss of someone you loved, I would imagine if they loved you back, that's not something they want to see you do with your life either. So you've got to keep looking for a way to process that loss in your time, in your way. And it may take a while for you to do that, because like I said, when we do experience those losses, we do lose resources and we don't necessarily have the ability to reflect and have inner understanding of ourselves like we do. And so it may take a few months or a few years before you're able to step up and say, "Okay, let's deal with this. Let's let's figure it out. I need to move forward. This is a stumbling block and I need to continue on with my life.
1: One of the things that you can try is sharing it. And by that, I mean sitting down with other people and talking about it. Now, maybe you want to talk about the actual loss that you experienced. But if that's still too painful, maybe find a group of people to sit down with or one person you can sit down with and talk about just loss as a general concept or death as a general concept. Because I think part of what happens, these taboos exist around these topics because it is uncomfortable it's painful we don't like to think about these things and because we don't like to think about things that don't make us feel good or that are really abstract and and complex and we have all these strong emotions about and all of that because of that we are reluctant to talk about it and everybody else reinforces that too because well it's uncomfortable for everybody to talk about it's painful and complicated for everybody to talk about and so it gets shoved into this corner and gets shoved into silence So when those losses happen, we have no idea what to do with them and we don't think necessarily to talk to other people about it because we don't want to make other people uncomfortable and it's it's just like this sticky thing to talk about and it's hard to verbalize and it's how do you put it into words that you're experiencing this loss that you're going through grief what does that even mean what does death even mean why does it happen why do we have to deal with this it's unfair it sucks You, you get all up in your head and it gets trapped there because we have these societal taboos and stigmas around talking about these things because they are so big and complicated and they hurt. So try removing some of that stigma, break down those taboos, find somebody that you can talk to about it or go to a support group or just find people that you can talk to. Like I said, it doesn't even have to necessarily be about the loss that you just experienced. If that is too intimate, if it's too close to home, if it hurts too much, Try to broaden that out and just talk about loss. Talk about death. Try to break down those big, scary words because they are kind of big, scary words. Don't get trapped in your head with it and don't give into that idea that it has to be this deep, dark secret that you have to deal with on your own, because it doesn't have to be. Maybe you talk to a therapist about it. Maybe you talk to your best friend about it. Maybe you get together a group of people to just talk about the concept, to get that conversation going. And will people be uncomfortable at first? Yes. But if you can find a group of people who are willing to even talk about the concept, to talk about how we feel about death, how we feel about our own mortality, just start talking about these things so they're not so big and scary anymore. And maybe eventually you'll get to a point where you can talk about this loss that you're experiencing right now.
0: Another way that you can deal with some of the losses that you experience and the grief that comes with them is show gratitude. The reason we're grieving is because we valued what we lost. It was important on some level. It made us feel happy or loved or content or secured or at peace. It provided something positive and rewarding in our lives. And now that's gone. But we can still be grateful for the positive, rewarding things that it did provide for the time we did have with the person, for the gifts and lessons that we did learn from our younger self. We can be grateful for those things, even as we are grieving those losses.
1: Personally, I found that it also helps for me in in dealing with my grief to go big picture. I'm a very big picture person. So recognizing and valuing the life and the energy that is in everything has been really helpful for me. As a child, I used to feel so guilty about being mean to my toys or throwing them away, or throwing away much of anything. I I gave personalities to inanimate objects, even things that weren't toys. It could just be like a plastic bag. And for some reason, my brain would decide that that inanimate object had a name and it had a backstory, and now I couldn't throw it away. And I know, to most people, that sounds probably dumb. I get that. But I had that as a kid, and that, part of me has still held on to that over the years. And you know, later in adulthood, I got introduced to Shintoism, which is a, a part of Japanese culture. And I wouldn't really call it a religion, but it is a belief system. And a, a fundamental aspect of that belief system is animism. It is the idea that there is life and energy in everything, that everything has a spirit, that everything has identity, and that we should be recognizing that and we should recognize the effort that is put into the creation of all things, whether they're created by nature or created by man, and that we should be recognizing the value that those things and those people and those relationships bring into our lives. Everything has an energy to it. And so when I think about things in those terms, I can take it to the tiniest thing. I can take it down to the food that I eat, or I can take it into these big concepts of my mother's impact on my life. There is life and energy and everything. And by being more intentional and appreciative of those things, of the value that is brought into my life, I can also be more intentional when i have to let go of those things those relationships those people i can be more intentional about releasing things or throwing things away even the small things by recognizing the life in all things and the value in everything that's in my life by being more intentional in that sense and being more conscious of it it's helped me when it comes to grief and having to let go because i can look at it with love and i can look at it with gratitude i can feel more well versed in the art i guess if you want to call it of grief there is an artistry to it i think and we all kind of develop our own form of self expression with it but there is something to it that's very personal and it grief can be a bit of a, a masterpiece as it were To learn to delve into those feelings, to delve into those experiences, to be grateful, to recognize the value, to recognize your pain, to allow that full spectrum of experience, it can help you to let go with love, with gratitude, with some level of peace and understanding of the interconnectedness of all things instead of just being solely focused on the pain and the fear and the void that is left behind after that loss. Having that recognition of the life and energy and value of everything has really, I don't want to say made grief easier for me to process but it has definitely put a balm on it. It's made it just a little bit less painful. It's made it just a little bit, a little bit less big and scary. It's made it something that I can actually touch and I can handle and I don't get as overwhelmed by the big losses because I've I've allowed myself the opportunity to get used to those smaller losses and to accept that loss is part of life. It's part of the natural cycles of life.
0: I would say those concepts and what Ivy is talking about there ties directly into the concept of spiritual beliefs to some degree. Ivy shared a lot of her what I would say is spiritual even if it's not a specific religious belief it is an underpinning spiritual belief that helps us process and understand and relate to grief in such a way that it is more than pain that's something many people rely on and I would I would advocate finding a way to spiritually or intellectually find a way to interact with loss and interact with grief so that it doesn't just tear you apart and leave you feeling nothing but pain because there is more more to loss and more to grief than just pain. Whether you believe it or not, I do promise it there is. Personally speaking, one of the ways that I am trying to spiritually interact with grief I am trying to come to accept that death is a part of life because it is, it is a part of existence. And so I'm working towards immersing myself in those concepts of the cycles of nature so that I can come to the point that I emotionally accept that death is just one more portion of life. Moving on from that, it is important to open yourself up to life again. When you have experienced the loss, when you're going through grief at some point, You need to open yourself up to life again. Open yourself up to new relationships, to trying new food. At some point, you need to move forward again. It's okay to stop on your journey. It's okay to dig into a little rut and to experience that loss and to allow yourself that grief. It's not only okay, but it's perfectly healthy and it's just part of what we need to do sometimes. It's vital though that you don't get stuck. In that little hole that you're able to have the experiences you need gain the lessons you need and then move forward into life but again that's gonna be in your own time and it's gonna be in your own way but you're gonna have to learn to create a new life without what you've lost moment by moment habit by habit you just got to keep moving forward One of the last things we're going to talk about today when it comes to processing that grief and dealing with that loss is consider using symbols or rituals for loss. I believe that symbols and rituals have a very important and potent effect on us and our psychological well-being. And so when we bring those rituals and we bring those symbols into that loss... It can help us process through because like we said, grief and death are abstract concepts. As real as that loss is, it still feels abstract and squishy in some way. And how do you process with something you can't get a hold of? Well, part of how you can do that is through rituals and through symbols. And now a lot of the rituals and symbols when it comes to grief are about death, their death rituals. But even though they are surrounded with death, there are ways that you can adapt them to any grief in your life. And if you did experience a death, then maybe use them directly as a way to process that grief.
1: And we did want to explore some of those cultural death rituals in part because it does, I believe, help us broaden our perspective about it. Because so often we do get very... Closed in, not just in our own minds, but in our own culture and how things are dealt with. And unfortunately for Americans, we do not deal with death. Not really. Yes, we have our funerary practices and those sorts of things that tend to be somewhat common, but we don't deal with death and loss very much as concepts. We tend to keep them very secret and just deal with them on our own and not bother other people with them. But that's not how every culture operates. So we did want to explore some of those things to maybe look at death and loss in a different way. Now, I, I, I know I just said that in the U.S. we don't deal with grief, but I do think that there is at least one area of the U.S. that has a beautiful death and funerary practice, and that is New Orleans. It is not uncommon in New Orleans to have, as part of the funeral procession, a degree of celebration. There are parts of it that are somber and you are definitely appreciating the gravity of the loss and of the death. But there is also a part of the funeral procession where there is kind of a party atmosphere where you're celebrating that person's life. I don't see this just in New Orleans. I think we are starting to have more of this idea that celebrating the life is just as important as recognizing the death and those things can go hand in hand. But I love the way that New Orleans does it because it is a big party and there is this sense of community that goes with it too. There's live musicians, it's kind of like a parade. It can be festive and you're really celebrating that person's life. And I do think it's very important for us to keep in mind that when we do experience a loss, when we experience a death, It's not all bad. There's so much good that has come from that person or has come from that job that we had or from that relationship that we had or from that previous period of time in our life when things were really rough, there's even good to be had from trauma. So I like that idea of having this almost celebratory attitude towards it. Have that that duality where you do have the the sadness, and you do have that more somber attitude and recognition of the gravity of loss. But on the flip side, you're also recognizing that there were good times and there were good things and that that is even more important than the loss itself. And that doesn't just apply to death. That can be, like I said, applied to So many other things in our lives, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, moving out of state or out of the country, starting a new life somewhere else also means letting go of what you once had. Embracing these transitions in our lives can be very helpful for us in dealing with that grief and not being so fearful of it. There is that duality in all things and death is no exception. Another one of the funerary practices that I really love comes from the Tibetan Buddhists and it's called sky burial or at least that's how I saw it termed online and it's kind of this idea of returning the body to nature. They basically leave the body for nature to reclaim it, for the birds of prey to come, for the bugs, for the body to decompose and return to the earth. I really like that because for me personally, when I die, which hopefully will not be anytime soon, but when I do, I want to be part of those natural cycles. That's really important to me because I do see the interconnectedness and everything and the life and the energy and everything. One of the the things that I really love in more modern culture that we're starting to see around death practices, there are burial pods where you take the ashes of a person and you put them in this little pod and a tree grows from it or mushrooms creating some sort of life from the ashes of that person who has died. I love that idea. And that's what I would honestly love to have happen with my body when I die. I don't want to be buried in the ground in a box and then inside another box where I will be kept in pristine condition or as pristine condition as can be. I want to return to the earth. I want to be part of the life in other things, even when my life is gone. When it comes to those losses that are not death, but are just as significant to us, try to find a way to acknowledge your loss as part of this bigger cycle of your life. So a relationship ends, and yes, it's so painful, but you learned so much from it. And while that relationship ended, in all likelihood, it will not be the last relationship that you had. That job may have ended, but it's very unlikely that that's going to be the last job that you have or the last calling that you feel that you have, something to strive toward. What you have lost is part of a bigger cycle in your life.
0: Another funerary practice that may not be as well known is called dancing with the dead. And this is one that's done in Madagascar. And essentially, they take their family members that have passed out of the crypts every so often, they rewrap them in the funerary garments, new fresh ones. This way, they're never actually forgotten. And that may seem a little creepy to a lot of us that you're actually taking a dead rotting body out and doing things with it. But they are physically interacting with their ancestors and saying, yes, this is part of life. This is part of what's going on and we're going to continue moving these memories forward. And with the way health and safety laws are in our country, I would not suggest grave digging in order to redress your dead loved one, but there are ways that you could use this idea of just that you do visit with them. Even just visiting the gravesite or places that had meaning to you regularly is very similar. Finding a way to keep that memory alive, to say this person, even though they're no longer here, is real and relevant and true and they had an impact and I will hold their memory in my heart and I will share that memory with my children and with their grandchildren and that memory of that ancestor will continue to move forward. And that's something that we could do with those those loved ones that we've lost. That's also something we can even do, like Ivy said, to adapt that to non-death losses, remembering and visiting with those things that we've lost in the past. If you've grown a lot and you're now this completely different person than you were when you were in your young 20s, maybe you kept journals. Reread those journals. Visit back with them. Remember that person you used to be. Remember the struggles that you went through. Acknowledge that and be grateful for it and hold that memory of who that person was as you move forward and acknowledge them. Hand in hand with that funerary practice, I would say, is the idea of providing gifts to the dead. So many of us, even in America, have heard of the Day of the Dead, and this came from the Aztec culture, if I'm not mistaken, and it's still celebrated in Mexico. But you provide gifts to that person that is dead. You go out and you decorate the gravesite and you acknowledge, and it's like you have a little party with your dead loved one. And so it kind of combines that that celebration of life uh, that Ivy talked about with the New Orleans concept of death, and it combines it with moving forward So you're continuing to celebrate on a regular basis. And this one may seem a little bit more difficult to adapt for a non death loss. Like, who are you giving this gift to? How does that even work? But we talked earlier about how sexual assault can really, it can be a huge loss that plummets you into an ocean of grief. And consider that idea of providing a gift to the part of you that was victimized, providing a gift that could potentially help you get back your power or your sense of autonomy. You can still use that idea of providing gifts to what you have lost, of finding a way to repay love and respect back to those portions of you that were lost or damaged by the trauma that you experienced.
1: Another one of these rituals and practices that is not necessarily culturally specific, but that you do see pop up in a lot of cultures is talking to the dead, having conversations with them, maybe writing letters to them and either saving them for you to read later or burning them. And I actually watched a documentary the other night about something that they have in Japan and they built it as kind of a community memorial as it were for victims of the 2011 earthquake and it's called the wind phone and it's basically this beautiful memorial garden that they set up and there is a white phone booth that is in this memorial garden and people who lost a loved one during that earthquake will often go to this phone booth and they'll pick up the phone it's not connected to any line but they'll pick up the phone and they will talk to their loved one that they lost and they'll have a conversation with them and it helps them to process their grief it is this special sanctified space to speak to the loved one that they lost to feel a connection to them again yes that phone line's not connected to anything but they can feel connected to that person and there's a safe space to do that in there is this idea that you're actually having a conversation with them that you're saying the things to them that you never got the opportunity to say and this can be brought into other forms of loss in our life as well just like all of these other things like i mentioned before writing letters this may be yes to somebody who has passed but it could be to somebody that you had a previous relationship with it could be to a former version of yourself But writing a letter, all of these things that you wish you could have said that you didn't say or that you feel the need to say now, that can be such a cathartic and therapeutic process. You don't have to send those letters. You never have to give them to anybody. You don't even have to look at them again if you don't want to. But just getting it out of your system, putting it on paper can help so much.
0: Another death practice is revering the dead. And sometimes it's straight up ancestor worship. And this is actually a practice that you see associated with China and Chinese culture to some degree. But essentially, you are paying homage to your ancestors, to the people that have lost. Some people see them as guardian angels. Some people see them directly now as minor deities or gods that are helping protecting your livelihood and guiding your life in some way. But I love this idea, especially the idea that your ancestors are still out there, the people that you loved, that passed on, are still in some way aware of you and concerned about you. And now that they are on the other side of the veil, they're there to guide you and help you in any way they can, just like they wanted to in life, or just like maybe they did in life. This is a practice and a belief that I've actually incorporated into my own grief rituals and my own grief experience, is that idea that my ancestors, my grandmother that passed on, my mother that's passed on, even my dogs that have passed on, that their love didn't die with them, that that love still exists, and to some degree that love is still helping to guide and protect me and keep me safe as I move forward. And I think this one is, extremely easy to translate into losses that are not death especially for those of us who have gone through trauma because many of us that have gone through trauma and we start doing the work there is an old us and that old us was often immature they were lost they didn't know a lot they made so many mistakes sometimes we just want to roll our eyes at the person we used to be but that old you kept you alive those shitty coping skills that ended up being super toxic once you got out of that abusive environment they kept you alive and allowed you to be who you are now so for those of us that have gone through that trauma or we've had mental health issues and we've grown so much from this old person we used to be i love this idea of acknowledging the person that we used to be and being grateful to them and saying, thank you for guiding me to this point. Thank you for being part of the journey that is me so that I could continue to live. And now that I'm not just able to survive, I'm actually able to thrive because of you. And so I I love this idea, both as a death practice and as just a grief practice in general, that revering of what you've lost and appreciating what it's done and still believing that it's in some way guiding you or has guided you to a better place in your life.
1: Another thing that a lot of cultures do, but that was very popular in Victorian England, was to keep tokens of the dead. I am more of a spiritual person i guess i would say and i do keep an altar with all of my little crystals and my sage and all of those things my little statuettes of kuan yin and all that but i also have an area that is connected to my heritage and it is little things that remind me of my mom, pieces of jewelry that she made. I also have a lock of my great grandmother's hair. I have something that represents my grandmother. I have something that represents my my dog, Henry, because those things are so much a part of my life. And they are so important to me to keep those memories close because those people are so close to me. And it does kind of tie into the last one that we talked about. It's not quite that idea of ancestor worship but i do keep those things close and i keep them connected to my spirituality because i want to remember them i want to have something that i look at every single day and i remember that i had for this time in my life i had the presence of this person and they meant so much to me and they still mean so much to me and they are still with me on some level and keeping those little tokens or mementos gives you those visual tangible reminders that that person exists and the impact they had on you lasts forever and it's nice to have that visual reminder now obviously like all of these other things there are ways to apply this to things that are not death related losses. for me my past relationships have been very important i do see myself as a relational person in the sense that relationships romantic relationships have always been important to me, and I've had many in my adult life, and each of them taught me something incredibly important, incredibly valuable. I don't necessarily like all the people that I've been in relationships with. There are some of them I really don't like now, but that relationship still served a valuable purpose in my life. It still meant something to me. And I know a lot of people, they completely get rid of everything that had to do with their previous relationship. They don't want to be reminded. They don't want to see pictures. They don't want to see letters. They don't want to see gifts that person gave them. I totally get that. But I keep those things, not because I miss that person, But because that relationship had a significant impact on me, I grew as a result of that relationship. That person touched my life for a time, whether for good or bad, that person touched my life for a time and that meant something to me. And so I do keep those mementos. And even on a smaller scale, I kept a license plate from my first car. When my first car got totaled, I was so brokenhearted because to me, it wasn't just a car. She had a name, her name was Luella. I loved that car, and she was my first taste of real freedom. It represented for me an important step in my growth and my autonomy and my independence, and I still have that license plate to this day.
0: Another really common funerary practice are visible memorials. Multiple cultures do this, and you've seen this throughout history. Shrines, pyramids, the Taj Mahal, gravestones, memorial statues, memorial benches, people plant trees. But the idea of of a visible memorial that you're saying, this person lived, and I want other people to know about it. I want a place where I can go and look at this and say, yes, this person's legacy lives on, still exists. They left a mark on the world. Even if that mark is just carved into stone, it's a mark somewhere that that person exists. They're also something that you can do with non death losses, making a memorial a visible, tangible, touchable memorial of that loss. Like Ivy talked about earlier, grief can be an artwork. That's something that you could consider doing for any loss you've had is creating a tangible piece of art or a collage or a craft item or even a a macrame owl, whatever makes sense for the loss, but something that is completely tied to that experience or that job or that relationship or that loved one that you can reach out and touch and see on a regular basis and still feel connected with the important parts of what you lost in that. And hand in hand with that are actions as memorials. There's a lot of people out there that when somebody dies, they choose to say, you know what, I'm going to live my life for them. I'm going to follow the path that they wanted me to live. I'm going to live my best life because of what they gave me. Or they donate or volunteer in their name. A lot of rich people, when they die, their heirs will actually even just make foundations. And so it's animal rescue in the community or supporting public radio or supporting the arts in the community. And people know their name because of the good works that their heirs are pushing forward through the money and the legacy that these people left behind. We can do this even if we're not rich. We can still help somebody's legacy live on through our actions. I am a big believer in living my best life because of my mother and my grandmother. I look at the actions that they did in their lives and the loss and the importance of what they are and I'm not going to have kids so I can't pass that legacy on generationally But I can still pass that legacy on by being the best me I can be, by taking the lessons and the sacrifices they made and making the most out of it and helping other people around me with the lessons that they've taught me and the growth that they have allowed for me.
1: On this note of actions as memorials and how you can kind of bring that into non-death related losses, I've been seeing something on social media that I absolutely love. I've been seeing people on there who did not get to have certain things when they were a child because of trauma or a bad home life. But they've decided that now as adults, they have the power to give that to their inner child. And so they do. Maybe they desperately wanted to like be an emo goth kid, but they weren't allowed to because their family was very conservative and religious and they weren't allowed to dress that way but now they're an adult and they're living their own life and you know what I still want to be an emo goth kid so I'm going to dress that way even if it's not all the time maybe it's just once in a while maybe it's not even leaving the house but I still want to do that because I never got the opportunity to as a kid it can be something as simple as just playing at a playground if you didn't really get to have a childhood just playing that can be so healing just going on a swing set or a slide although i will say as a woman if you have hips expect it to be more painful than it probably would have been as a child i speak from experience here but that can be really helpful live on some level for your inner child give that inner part of you that inner wounded child an opportunity to have these things that they wanted, to get to play, to have these experiences. I'm looking for ways to do that in my life right now And honestly, it's been a bit of a struggle for me to find some things that adult me is comfortable with giving them. And I recognize that the reason why it's difficult for me to give those things to them is because I'm still holding on to that pain and I'm still holding on to that trauma. And I'm still holding on to the things that made me give up those dreams to begin with. So that's something that I'm actively working on in my own life. And that is part of a grief process is recognizing that sometimes our adult selves Are still punishing our inner children when we don't need to. Little Ivy should be able to have some of the things that she wanted. She she should be able to dress however she wants. She should be able to play if she wants. I should be able to uh, let her have those things and not feel guilty about it and not feel bad about it and not stigmatize those things. And I think we could all benefit from doing that in our lives.
0: I am a big fan of dealing with my grief over the loss of my childhood and my innocence through treating my inner child. And that's why I think a lot of people still think of me as a child at heart, because I very much give my inner child a lot, (laughs) a lot of room and a lot of play options and a lot of expression as a way to deal with and process that grief and loss I experienced earlier in life. All right. So on a final note today, before we wrap up, we just want to reiterate grief is... Unique to all of us the losses that you will feel as losses the way you will react to those losses is so Individually unique to you and that experience and that time and so there is no right way to grieve There is no answer for how to make the pain stop. There is no easy solution or time frame and so however you're grieving it's okay. Give yourself patience. Give yourself grace. Give yourself some time. If you find yourself getting stuck, reach out and get some help from somebody so you don't get stuck. Don't let the grief consume your life, but do allow yourself the ability to grieve, the time to grieve because it's okay to grieve however you need to and to grieve whatever loss you need to for as long as you need to. All right. So on that note, we will wrap up for today and I will have Ivy throw you our connecty bits. You can find us at
1: our website, www.differentfunctional.com. We are on Facebook as Different Functional. We are on Instagram and TikTok as Different Underscore Functional. Uh, you can email us if you want to at differentfunctional at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon as Different Functional. And we also have merch. So if you want to... Get a shirt or a mug or a phone case cover or a giant wall mural of our logo. Go to our website and there on the homepage there will be a link to purchase merch. And I think that is all of the ways to get in touch with us and to connect with us. And please do. We would love for you guys to connect with us. We want to know more about you. Not in a creepy way, just because we like you and obviously i would hope at least that you like us because you are still listening and on that note we are very appreciative of all of you guys that keep coming back and keep listening and who are spreading the word you're awesome and if you could keep that up keep spreading the word about us leave us comments rating reviews all of that stuff it would
0: be amazing Yes, please reach out to us. Please let you know your thoughts. Rate us, review us, like us, interact with us. And as always, everybody remember that different does not mean defective.